0: Hello and welcome to Fresh Dialogues. I'm Alison Van Diggelen. This is a special podcast, Fresh Dialogues Uncut. Today, Yvonne Chouinard, founder of outdoor clothing company Patagonia and revered pioneer of environmental responsibility. He explains why Patagonia pays a 1% earth tax to support environmental activists and why he considers himself a benevolent dictator. I'm a dictator. (laughs) A very generous dictator. The
1: most effective form of government is probably, you know, a benevolent dictator. I mean, you, things get done. Whereas, you know, look at American politics. The best you can ever achieve is uh, a compromise. And compromise never solves the problem. It leaves both sides feeling
0: cheated. I sat down with Yvonne Chouinard at the Heritage Theatre in Silicon Valley in October 2016. He explains how purchasing a Scottish rugby shirt inspired his Patagonia business and why he believes regenerative agriculture could save the planet. His book, Let My People Go Surfing, is an attempt to challenge business as usual and our culture of conspicuous consumption. Yvonne Schinard, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, no, you're welcome. Patagonia is well known around the world for being a successful business, but having a strong environmental message and environmental mission. Tell me about your inspiration for that. Why does your business have to take care of the environment too?
1: Well, it's it's the reason we're in business. I never wanted to be a, a, a businessman, and I was a craftsman. I just happened to come up with ideas that people wanted and I love working with my hands and I slowly got trapped into finally admitting that I was a businessman and uh, I really uh, I had no desire to get rich or anything like that but I you know I've, I've done a lot of climbing on every continent including Antarctica I've traveled all over the world and I just became aware of all the destruction to the natural world, and uh, so I decided to use my resources, which my resources was my business, to try to do something about uh, the natural world, and uh, so that's why, that's the reason why we're in business.
0: Let's go back to Scotland, 1970, you bought a Scottish rugby shirt, tell me about why that was the inspiration for Patagonia Clothing. Well, before
1: before nineteen seventy, I was in the uh, in the business of making climbing equipment. I was a blacksmith, and I made all the pitons and ice axes, crampons, and all of that stuff. And I'd come to Scotland to go climbing on Ben Nevis, and uh, I was at a walking by a department store in Edinburgh, and I saw a rugby shirt, and and I thought, wow, that's a pretty cool looking shirt. And because you know, in nineteen seventy. Active sportswear was basically gray flannel sweatshirts and sweatpants. Men did not wear colorful sports clothes. And I thought, well, this is a great-looking thing. It had stripes. It had a blue body and had yellow and red stripes. And and, and I thought, this would make a perfect shirt for climbing because it was rugged, had a collar so that the gear slings wouldn't cut into your neck. And so I bought myself one. I, I was wearing it around Yosemite, and everybody would come up to me and say, whoa look at that what is that and and uh, the lights kind of came on and I thought well you know maybe I import a few of these because you know I would you can imagine being a blacksmith you're not making much money and so that's how I got into the clothing business.
0: That's a wonderful story. So tell me, you've been very influential in um, impacting other businesses. So many businesses are going green now. I understand you once got a phone call from Steve Jobs saying, how do I green Apple? What was your advice to him back then? <laughs> well,
1: um, we're influencing small companies. We're not in- influencing large companies. A lot of the green Stuff that's going on with these large companies is greenwashing.
0: Do you feel Apple's efforts are greenwashing?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's like that with every large corporation. They're, they'll pick the low hanging fruit, but when it starts getting a little bit tougher, and you know, they'll do the things that turn into more profits. But when you really have to knuckle down and be truly responsible, they're not going to do it.
0: So what do you feel has been your biggest influence as far as greening the world or making people be more environmentally conscious? Has it been on the consumer side or the business side? What's been your biggest impact?
1: I think the biggest impact is with young people. Uh, I wrote this book, Let My People Go Surfing, 10 years ago, which I I just did a new edition of it. And that has gone around in nine languages and... um, it's influenced a lot of young people, and small companies are really paying attention to what we're doing. But um, the idea of changing large corporations is uh, is pretty naive of me to think that.
0: You've said that Patagonia is an experiment in doing business ethically. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that business philosophy?
1: Well, it is an experiment in that. Uh, I never uh, like to sorty. I never like to tell people what to do, and um, When we decided, you know, it wasn't just me, but all my friends, when we decided we were going to be in business, we decided to do it in our own style. And that's kind of the title of my book, Let My People Go Surfing, which means that I don't care when you work as long as the work gets done. So if the surf comes up, that's when you go surfing. You don't go next Tuesday at 2 o'clock. So it's affected our management style. and, And so we've created a way of managing a business so that uh, we're not tied down. We don't drag our butts to work every day. We skip up the stairs, you know, two steps at a time. So, you know, I realized that you don't have to do it like everybody else. You know, we don't hire MBAs. We don't uh, have advertising agencies. And, and it turns out we we end up having to do most things ourselves because we can't trust other companies to do it for us.
0: Tell me about that 1% for the planet. You call it an earth tax. Tell me about that. You started it, and then you've you've grown it into a movement.
1: Well, you know, your typical uh, large corporation is just out to make as much money as they possibly can for the shareholders. And then what the shareholders do with their uh, with their profits afterwards is their business. We believe it should be done within the business as well. And so we – I believe in taxes uh, and especially the kind of taxes where you get to decide where the money goes. I think that's called taxation with representation, which will never happen, of course, in government. But it can happen if you just tax yourself. So that's what we do. We tax ourselves 1% of our sales, not our profits. So whether we're profitable or not, we take 1% of our revenue every year and we give it away to about 900 different activists, small activist organizations that are all working to basically save our planet
0: that's very impressive and tell me about that you're you're giving away 1% and you and your family understand it's a family trust you own the company 100% talk about that the authority or the power you have compared to a public company that's under pressure for the quarterly profits <laughs> or quarterly growth talk about the advantages of that i think you've said in the past your stockholders are the people of the planet that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean when you're CEO of a public company, you have no power. You know, the board of directors tells you what to do, your stockholders tell you what to do and uh, I can do whatever I feel like. Uh more sole owners and uh, we can make quick decisions, we can be a lot more efficient. We can move quickly. Yeah, it's it's uh, I mean I would never ever think of becoming a public corporation.
0: So you like that autonomy and that control. Yeah, what else does it I'm allow a dictator. you <laughs> what, say that again? i'm a dictator <laughs> a very generous well, dictator the most
1: effective form of government is probably you know a benevolent dictator i mean you, things get done whereas you know look at american politics the best you can ever achieve is uh, a compromise and compromise never solves the problem it leaves both sides feeling cheated and doesn't solve the problem
0: what else have you been able to do apart from that 1% earth tax? What else have you been able to do because you're private and you have this dictatorship?
1: <laughs> well, it's all through the company. I mean, uh, the way we manage, uh, there's no boss looking over your shoulder, that type of thing. It's very level type society. It's throughout the whole company. and But, you know, outside the company, even though we're a small company relatively, we're getting – to be very visible and, and getting, I can't believe the power that we have. Everybody's looking at us. We're being invited to the White House all the time now to, to advise on policy.
0: And what is your advice to President Obama and our next president? What would your advice be to our next president?
1: Well, I wish you'd mention global climate change. I mean, it's the overlying threat over the whole planet. You know, we're... E.O. Wilson said that the only hope of saving uh, a lot of these species is is to take 50% of the world's land mass and protect it. That would cost about $100 billion. We're going to spend $400 billion going to Mars. What do you think would be the best thing to do?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I know what your answer is.
1: Yeah, yeah I mean... I, 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 there's no, I see no value in going to Mars at all.
0: Interesting. Some people say there's a conflict here. You are an environmental company. You're saying save the planet, but at the same time you're saying buy our products, you have to make products, you have to sell your products, you have to make a profit in order to stay in business, otherwise you go belly up. So talk about that conflict between being a business and doing good for the planet. Well, um
1: to put a spin on it, I would say that buying a jacket from us causes less harm to the environment than buying a jacket from another company that doesn't put all the the thought and processes in causing the least amount of harm. And, you know, like, for instance, we only use organically grown cotton. Well, growing cotton organically causes less harm, but it doesn't do the world any good. It still causes a lot of harm. And so that's why... I've decided to go into the food business because I want to go beyond organic foods, beyond organic cotton, and into what's called regenerative agriculture. And the difference is regenerative agriculture builds soil and captures carbon. And so you have to – now I have to go to my cotton farmers who supply us with cotton and say, you can't plow anymore because every time you plow, it releases all the carbon that you've captured back into the air. So, you know, agriculture is one of the biggest causes of global warming. And so, it's, therefore, it's probably the biggest w- thing that we can do to save this planet.
0: All right. So, is that going to be a major focus for Patagonia going forward?
1: It's the major focus for me, that's for sure. I, I, uh, I'm really excited about this because I think it's our only hope to uh, regulate the, the climate. We're not going to do it any other way. And I think... Agriculture has a chance of sequestering so much carbon out of the air through changing our grazing practices and our farming practices and basically going back to the old way of doing things. And that's what gets me excited.
0: That's very exciting. And tell me about the future, long-term future. How are you going to make sure, beyond your lifetime, that Patagonia keeps the environment central to its mission?
1: Well, we've become a B Corporation company. And that's different than a regular corporation. In that a B corporation, uh, you can put down what your values are, and they have to be values that are good for the planet, good for, the, good for society. And so the way the law states, if I died tomorrow, um, the stock is in a trust, and this trust would have eight years to divest 80% of that because the law doesn't want you to have all your stock or foundation – have all its stock in one corporation. A B Corp, we wouldn't necessarily have to do that. And we wouldn't have to sell to the highest bidder, which would be to go public. All the laws force you to go public, pretty much. We wouldn't have to do that.
0: But would it keep the environment as central to the mission?
1: That's part of the values that we've inculcated in in our charter, being a B Corporation.
0: And will your son or daughter stay at the helm?
1: Well, I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen after I'm dead. But
0: um, Are you grooming them to do so? They are,
1: yeah, they, they are slowly uh, taking over more and more responsibility. Absolutely. My daughter is head of uh, sportswear design right now, and my son is on the board, and uh, they both have the same values that uh, my wife and I have.
0: Wonderful. And one last question, going back to Scotland, John Muir. I know he's been an inspiration. Do you have a favorite quote or inspiration from him? <laughs> I know, you on this Yeah,
1: John, John Muir was was certainly uh, w- when I was a climber. Uh, it was it was John Muir and Emerson and uh, Thoreau and the transcendentalist uh, philosophers and which had a different attitude towards uh, climbing mountains than say the Europeans did, which was to conquer the mountains. And and our attitude was you climb them and leave no trace of having been there.
0: Great, wonderful, Yvonne, Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to Fresh Dialogues. Subscribe on iTunes and find out more at freshdialogues.com.